theology is important to the Christian life. Doctrine matters. And this can be expressed in different ways. Some say belief is foundational to behavior. Others say that creed is crucial to conduct. And then there are those who will say that doctrine leads to duty. And you've heard me in one way or the other express this at different times. The importance of theology and doctrine is not a fabrication of man, but it's something that comes straight from the Word of God. It is Scripture that lets us know of the importance of knowing what we believe when it comes to how we behave. You see that particularly in the books of the New Testament. But of all the books in the New Testament, it's the book of Ephesians that rises above the others and reminds us of how belief is essential to behavior and how doctrine is foundational to duty. In Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul talks about the Christian's wealth in Christ, talks about their identity in Christ, talks about all that God has done for the believer. There's only one command in the first three chapters. The, the emphasis is over and over again on who we are in Christ and, and the wealth and our identity in Christ. It's not until chapter 4 that Paul begins to give various commands. But that book reminds us that foundational to behavior is what we believe. That essential to doctrine, doctrine is essential to duty. And so we need to always keep that in mind. God never ever expects us to simply live life independent of what we know and believe. Last Sunday, we began looking at 1 John, the first four verses from the subject, Christianity. It's the real thing. It's genuine. It's authentic. That was John's message to his readers. But today, we come to the body, so to speak, of 1 John. And as we come to this body of 1 John, John begins his section with a theological truth. He begins his section with an, an important doctrinal fact. And, and based upon this theological truth, he, he wants us to understand that it has ramifications for how we live. And, and if we miss this important theological truth, our life will not be what God wants it to be. If somehow we are ignorant of what John is saying, then our life as a Christian, so to speak, collapses. We, we can't walk worthy of our great salvation. We, we, we are not able to flesh out what God has called us to do. And so this portion of Scripture is just a reminder once again that theology is crucial to Christian living. 
It's not all about how we feel. It's not all about our emotions. All of that is important, but when it comes to living a godly life, we must grab hold of the reality that truth is essential. So truth is to inform our minds, but also it is to transform our lives. And some have divided the two. They have thought that if I know, that is sufficient. No, not only must I know, but I must grow. And so God has given us truth to inform our minds and to transform our lives. And we see that in the passage before us. The subject of 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2, is God is light. And this is a wonderful truth that we're not going to be able to cover in just one sermon. But we'll get to the thrust of it today. Hopefully we will conclude next Sunday. As we come to our text, please zero in on the report that God is light. The opening verse, verse 5, informs us of the message that God is light. John writes, and this is the message which you have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. This message is a current message. John says that God is light, not that God was light. It's current. It's relevant. It's for his readers. It's for us. This message is a particular message. This is the message. There's many things that John could have written to begin this letter. But he chose this particular message. In his mind, this is a message that needs to be out front if the rest of the book is going to become a reality to us. It's a particular message. It's a message that John singles out among other messages. The message is a divine message. That is, it doesn't originate with John. John writes, this is the message which we have heard from him. John heard this message. And who did he hear it from? He heard it from this individual that he identifies as him, that is, Jesus Christ. The hymn goes back to chapter 1, verse 3, when John tells us the reason why he wrote the book. And it was that the readers might have fellowship with John. And John says, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son. Who is his Son? Jesus Christ. And now John is saying, the message that we heard from Jesus Christ He wants us to know that this is not some human message. 
But the source of this message is none other than God the Son. Out of all of the things that John heard from the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the one that he puts out before us. And what can be noted is that you really won't find Jesus saying these exact words of John's message in the four Gospels. The, the, the message that we're going to look at, they're not found on the lips of Jesus. But yet, John, after hearing all that Jesus said, and observing his teaching, and listening to the words that came out of his mouth, having spent three, three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, this is the message which we've heard from him. And this message is a theological message. And what I mean by that, and I don't want us ever to be afraid of theology, our doctrine. Now, sometimes we get an impression about Christianity that theology and doctrine, that's that heady stuff that's not crucial and critical to us as Christians. We want to feel something. We want to move and groove. But we need to understand that biblical truth is what causes us to move and groove and to have emotion that honor God. And so John is saying that, that this message is a theological message. And by that, he's saying it's a message that is about God. And there's no more important subject than God. As John writes this book, as he begins the body of this book, he says, I'm writing to you about something that I've heard some 60 years ago. And what I'm writing to you about is a message about God. A message about who he is. And so many people are in the dark and have wrong views about who God is. But John doesn't want that to be true of his readers. In fact, some individuals, some scholars, some theologians call John the theologian. And the reason that they do that is because when you read John's writings, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, John makes these statements about the nature and character of God. And you're familiar with the one in John 4.24 where Jesus is having the conversation with, uh, with the Samaritan woman. And Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, God is spirit. That, that's one of John's theological statements. And when we come to 1 John, John is going to say a little bit later on in chapter 4, verse 8, and also in chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. And even in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that God is faithful and that God is righteous. So, so this lets us know that it matters 
what we believe about God. It's important that we have good theology. John is not just saying all these things to fill up spaces in the letter that he's writing. He's writing these things because he understands the importance of theology for Christian living. And so John says that this is a current message. This is a particular message. This is a divine message. It's a relevant message. John says, what I've heard, I'm announcing to you. I want you to know. It wasn't just something good for me and for the other apostles and those who lived in my time in the early years of my life. No, this message is relevant for you, my readers. And again, it is a theological message. And what is that message? God is light. Very brief, very terse, very to the point. God is light. He's not a light. The emphasis is not on him being the light. The emphasis is on his character, his nature, that God is light, meaning that he is morally perfect, that he is pure. Uh, To use a word we like to use today, he's holy. That's who God is. And, And John says, when I write this letter to you at the very beginning, I want you to know something about your God. I want you to know that your God is morally perfect. I want you to know that your God is holy, that your God is pure. He states that posit in a positive way, and then he backs that up and states it negatively. He said, and in him, that is in God, there is no darkness at all. Just in case you might not get what I'm saying, John says. Maybe you're not grasping what I mean when I say God is light. What I'm saying is, Also, that in the being, in the person of God, there is nothing that is morally dark or sinful, not one sliver, not one trace, not one hint of darkness or sin or anything like that in God. So we have a God who is holy. We have a God who is pure. We have a God who is morally perfect. And John wants us to know that. He wants us to realize that this is the message that John and others heard from Jesus Christ. And he's announcing it. And he's making it known to his readers. And it's the same thing that we need to hear. We need to be reminded. It needs to be reinforced in us that God is light. That he's absolutely and completely morally pure. When God created the heavens and the earth, 
he began by saying in verse 3 of chapter 1, after saying in the beginning and how darkness was around, he said what? Let there be light. God understood that our universe needed light. And so he created the sun and the moon and the stars. God understands that our moral universe needs light. So he is light. We live in a dark world. We live in a, live in a sinful world. When you drove up probably this morning, you saw all these police cars. Because early in the morning, four people were killed and another injured by gunshots. It, it reminds us of the world that we live in. It's dark. But praise God that he is light. Praise him that he is the sun, the moon, and the stars for people today. And John goes on record. And John says, this is what I've heard. And this is what I announced to you. Out of all of these things, this is what I announced to you about the fact that God is light. And I wonder what our lives announce to people about God. I, I wonder what we announce and proclaim by the way that we live about the God who is light. What do my eyes say about God? Does it announce that God is light? That he's pure? That he's absolutely holy? Or do my eyes, what it looks at, send out a different message? I wonder what my mind proclaims about God. The things that I'm thinking that no one else knows. What is it communicating about God? Does it reveal that God is light? That he is perfect? That he is morally pure? What about the words that come out of our mouths? What do they announce about the nature and the character of God? You see, whether we realize it or not, we're no different, so to speak, than the Apostle John. John has picked up pen and paper and has written down what he wants his readers to know about God. And he's announcing to them that God is light. Our lives are pen and paper. Our lives are letters that, that say something about who God is. And the question is, do our lives let people know that God is light.
Do our lives let people know that in God there is no darkness, no, not any at all? We need to keep in mind that this is the message that John reported to his readers, that God is light. But it's not just information for the head. This truth is for the transformation of one's life. And so I want you also to make sure that you don't miss the ramifications that God is light. My friends, theology matters. It's not sufficient to lead today and to be able to declare that God is light. It's crucial that that theological truth, that that doctrine makes a difference in how we live. The, the fact that God is light, John is saying, I can't end the letter right now. I can't say that it's all over, that you don't need anything else. No, John says, I must bring to bear on my readers' lives what that truth means. And so we see in verse 6 all the way to chapter 2, verse 2, the ramifications that God is light that what we believe makes a difference, is to make a difference. John is going to show how the fact that God is light has ramifications for having fellowship with God and also for how we view sin. We'll look at the idea of fellowship with God today. But Lord willing, we'll look at the implications for God is light on how we view sin next week. When we come to these verses, each of these verses, beginning in verse 6, starts with the word if, or contains the word if. John is raising a hypothetical situation that is more than likely. And so you read verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 in verse 1. You find the word if. Or, or, no, at the beginning or in the middle of the verse. But particularly, John uses this phrase, if we say. He says it in verse 6, he says it in verse 8, and he says it in verse 10. If we say. And John is saying, if a situation arises, and more than likely he feels that it can, where somebody makes a claim, then we need to evaluate that claim. He's going to point out that Christianity is not just simply what you say. Christianity is not talk. John is going to say, if we, he said, even if I say it, even if this claim comes out of my mouth. But the emphasis is not on who's saying it, but it's on what is being said. 
And so the first claim provides a setting for how the truth that God is light has ramifications for fellowship with God. This first claim is going to take the theological truth that God is light and bring it to bear on the one who claims that he has fellowship with God. Look at what John says in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him. John is raising a situation where a person says out of their own mouth, I have fellowship with God. And what he means by fellowship is the same thing that he meant in verse 3. Partnership. Sharing something in common. Relationship. He's not talking about loosey-goosey, intimate relationship. He's not talking about intimacy. He's saying partnership. And he says if a person says that he has fellowship with God, that's the claim. In other words, he's saying, I have a relationship with God. That's what this person is continually saying. I'm holding on to the fact that I have a relationship with God. But at the same time that he's saying that, notice what he's doing. John says that the person walks in darkness. So so this person is proclaiming a marvelous thing. This person is saying, I have fellowship with God. I have a relationship with God. And all the while the person is saying that, at the same time, the person is walking in darkness. He is living his life in a realm that God has nothing to do with at all. Remember, John's message is that God is light, and in him, there is no darkness at all. But here is a person saying, I have a relationship with God. And at the same time, he's saying that. It's not that he commits one act of sin, but his lifestyle is that he's walking in the realm and in the sphere where God has nothing at all to do with. I have fellowship with God. I have a relationship with God. But as you look at my life, I'm walking and talking and living in darkness, in a realm that doesn't characterize God at all. So what can you say about a person that says that? What's the evaluation when a person says, I have a relationship with God, but the person at the same time is living and walking in sin? And again, we're not talking about committing an act of sin. We're talking about actions. We're talking about lifestyle, what characterizes the person. And John says, my evaluation as an apostle is that the person lies. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, John says, we lie. John says, I don't care if it's me. 
John says, if I'm claiming to have partnership with God and with his son, Jesus Christ, and if I'm walking in darkness, then I'm lying. The person is a big fat liar. The person is not telling the truth. The person is presenting falsehood. The claim to have fellowship, a relationship with God while walking in darkness is a bogus claim. It is not to be accepted at all. And not only that, John goes on to say that the person does not practice the truth. Truth is for the mind, yes, but truth is for the inner being. It's to be lived. It's to be embodied. And John said, here's a person who's not day in and day out practicing the truth. John will say a lot about truth, and I'll just leave it to that. But what he can say about this person, he's lying. He's lying through his teeth. And he's not practicing the truth. And what I want us to recognize and understand from this is that a profession of faith does not determine if you have a relationship with God. A profession of faith, what you say with your lips, does not give evidence that you have a relationship with God. We know that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. But the evidence of a genuine salvation is not what I say, but with how I live. John makes that clear. And and you might say to yourself, "I, I don't walk around saying I have fellowship with God. That's not in my vocabulary. Maybe not. Maybe you use the fact that I am a Christian. I'm spiritual. I was baptized when I was young. I'm a member of Fairview or a member of a church. I wear a cross around my neck. I got bumper stickers that say, hunk if you love Jesus. We might not say these exact words, I have fellowship with God, but in one way or the other, we can be professing and saying with our lips that we are Christians. And John says, the evidence is not in what you say. It's not. It's easy to say, I love Jesus. It's easy to even pray and go through all of the external motions. But that's not the evidence. Talk is cheap. That's not what John says is evidence. He says what is evidence is our walk. And he makes that clear in verse 7. In verse 7, John again uses hypothetical language. And the language doesn't focus in on our 
talk, but now on our walk. He says, if we walk, day in and day out, live our lives. If we live. And he says that this individual gives evidence that their profession of faith is real. What is that evidence? This individual walks in the light. And we need to understand that phrase because otherwise we're going to go home frustrated and think maybe John is saying I must be perfect. But that's not what he is talking about. He's saying that we live our lives as Christians in a new realm. We once were in the domain of darkness, slaves of sin, captivated by sin and the devil. But God saved us and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And now, as a believer, a genuine believer, I I walk in this new realm. I, I walk in the light. And I walk having Jesus as my compass, as my navigation system. I I walk as he himself walked. I, I seek to obey the word. And again, this is not perfection. Because if it's based on perfection, none of us have the evidence for salvation. But here John said this person is walking and living in the realm that characterizes God, the God who is light. And and this person is following the the direction and the guideline of the God who is light that characterizes his life. He's walking in that realm. In other words, he's making it a priority to obey the word of God. To be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. This individual doesn't take walking in the like as a Sunday stroll only. He walks in the light throughout the week. That's who he is. That's who she is. They're, they're in a new realm. That's where they live their, their life. They, they breathe. The, the, the atmosphere, the air, where God is light. And it's amazing that this God who dwells in unapproachable, inapproachable light, you and I can walk in that realm still, even though we're not perfect, even though we will sin. You want to know what the evidence is? A genuine salvation? It's not your talk. It's not your name on a membership role. It's it's walking in the light. And if that's not there, then that says something seriously about your profession of faith. 
John talks about two surprising results of when Christians walk in the light, and this is what I will end with. What he says at the end of verse 7 is really shocking. But, but it puts things in proper perspective, and I hope it does that for you. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the first result is we have fellowship. We have fellowship. But the shocking thing is that the object of our fellowship is not God. I would have expected John, since he was talking about this individual who says that he has fellowship with God, but he walks in darkness, he's lying and not doing the truth. And now he says, if we walk in the light as him, then the light, we have fellowship. I would have expected him to say, we have fellowship with God. I would have expected him to talk about our vertical relationship with God. But he doesn't. He talks about our horizontal relationships. He said, you can know that you are walking in the truth, walking in the light, because of your relationship with others, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our horizontal relationship testify to our vertical relationship. John said, don't you tell me that you have a relationship with God and you don't have a relationship with his people. Hogwash. There was a time, and it still even exists today, in the history of American Christianity, where people of color were not allowed to be a part of certain churches. People who had high theology, people who dotted their I's and crossed their T's about who God is and about what God has done would not let a person of color who had been genuinely born again to be a member of their church. And that's why America has the stigma of that statement made by Billy Graham many years ago, that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. How shameful that is to the people of God to people who profess to be Christians. John says, no way. You you can't tell me that, that you are a genuine Christian, that you have fellowship with God if you can't even fellowship with his people. It just doesn't fit. But that's what John wants us to understand, that when we have fellowship with God, We have fellowship with, that's why we're a part of a local church. That's why we're not just drifting in, going through life and thinking that church is when I want to come to it, etc., that I don't need the people in God's church. That is hogwash. Fellowship, partnership, relationship is what it means to be a Christian. And if you don't have that horizontal relationship, There is good reason to question your vertical relationship with God. But there's another surprising result that John mentions at the very end 
of verse 7. And that result is the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Think about that for a moment. The blood of Jesus, speaking of the death of Jesus on the cross, being sacrificial. He shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. But he says that the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait a minute. I'm walking in the light. As God is in the light, what am I being cleansed from? Why do I need cleansing? And that's why I said walking in the light as God is in the light. It's not perfection. It's not when I do everything right, I'm in the light. When I sin, I'm outside of the light. The Christian, the genuine Christian walks in the light. And the genuine Christian commits acts of sin. Should we commit those acts of sin? No. Should we desire? No. John is going to say in verse 1, I'm writing that you may not sin. But the reality is we do sin. And if nobody else knows that, God knows it and you know it. You know your heart. You know your mind. You know your thoughts. And John writes this marvelous result, surprising result, that, that the one who's in the light is continually being cleansed from sin. Because you and I, even though all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven, you and I still sin. And that sin affects not my relationship with God. Praise God, everything is right between me and Him. But, but, that, but that sin does affect my intimacy, my closeness with God. If we think as Christians we can live dirty lives, and it doesn't matter, John is revealing a marvelous truth that Christians are continually, constantly being cleansed from, not some sin, a few sins, but all sins. And he'll talk more about that. And we'll see that, Lord willing, next Sunday. When he says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, that there is a place in the Christian life for the acknowledgement and the confession and the forsaking of sin. When God is light, you do that. So let me close and try to bring this home to you and to me by presenting a personalized translation and rendition of verses 6 and 7. It's easy, the way that John has written it, to hide behind what he says in verses 6 and 7. Because he keeps saying we in us. That, that, that takes the spotlight off of you and me. But I want to put the spotlight on us. 
individually. And so listen to my personalized rendition of verses 6 and 7. If I say that I have fellowship with him that is with God, if I say that I have a relationship with him and I walk in darkness, then I lie. I lie. The the words coming out of my mouth saying that I have fellowship with God, I'm lying. And not only that, the truth, I'm not practicing it. I am not practicing it. I am not an embodiment of the truth. The truth is not in my inward parts. But, but if I, if I, Walk in the light in that realm that genuine Christian have been placed in it. If I walk and live in the light and I'm walking in that realm just as he is in the light, Jesus. That is, I'm seeking to be obedient. I'm not perfect, but my affections have changed my direction, and I'm pursuing Christ. And if I walk in the light as he himself is in the light, I have fellowship. With who? With my brothers and sisters in Christ. With my church family. With those Christians that God has placed me in the midst of. And my fellowship with them reveals that I have fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but the blood of his son, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, the blood of God's son continually and repeatedly cleanses me cleanseth me from all sin. Please personalize 1 John 1, 6 and 7. And don't forget that the report that God is light has ramifications for fellowship with God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow before you and humbly submit to you and ask that you, by your Spirit, would do a work in our lives and cause us to grab hold of this wonderful, magnificent, marvelous truth that you are light. Not only is that your character and your nature, but you actually are in the light unapproachable light, that you are so holy, so righteous, so pure, so clean. And the amazing thing is, even though that's who you are, you allow us, filthy and dirty 
unsaved people to enter into a relationship with you by repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Christ. And Father, even as Christians, you don't leave us, you don't forsake us when we sin as Christians. Thank you that your blood continually cleanses us from all sin. Help us to take sin seriously. Help us to take this truth seriously that you are light. May this marvelous truth transform how we live our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.